Welcome to Tim Goodman's TV Talk Machine podcast. This is another in our ongoing interviews with creative people in the television industry. Today I talk with Vince Gilligan, creator, writer, and producer of Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad is one of television's most audacious and acclaimed dramas. It tells the story of Walter White, a nondescript high school science teacher who learns on his 50th birthday that he has inoperable lung cancer. His life has been a series of consolation prizes, regret, and sadness. Through a series of events, Walt decides that he's going to cook meth and leave the money to provide for his struggling family. So he breaks bad, and then things get really strange and dangerous. Brian Cranston has deservedly won two consecutive Emmys for lead actor in a drama and Breaking Bad, which only had seven strike-shortened episodes in its first season and 13 additionally brilliant ones in its second, is poised to gain more followers as it starts season three on March 21st. In this celebrity podcast interview, Gilligan took some time out to talk in detail about all the various elements that go into making Breaking Bad such a great series, from the writing to the acting to the sound and the visuals. So Vince, uh, um, first of all, last time we talked, which was like a summer, um, and this is, I think, a good part to jump in. We're, we're just about to uh, get into season three of uh, Breaking Bad. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just such a great series. And, and, I, and I've said uh, in print and many times on the radio that this is one of the few series that I think that has gone from like a, stand, you know, a standing start to greatness faster than almost any series ever. Oh wow, Tim, I'm flattered, man. Thank you, <laughs> thank you so much. Sure, I, appreciate I mean it's it. it's just it's it's been a, a, quite a ride, and um, you know I I, I did want to. We have some pertinent issues to get to in the characters in the third season, but I did you know I know you've been over this before, but let's just go back a little bit. I think this is one of the the kind of the funniest things. I know you started with uh, you pitched this to FX uh, to start, and then ended up on AMC. But I, the pitch process for the <laughs> For this must have been pretty amazing when you had to tell them what the premise was. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was pretty fun. It was, uh, you know, I look back on it and I and I I, I just uh, I just had the luck of my ignorance, I guess. You know, going into this thing, I, I I didn't stop to think just how outlandish this idea was. I, I mean, I knew it was, but I didn't I didn't uh, fixate on it. I didn't I didn't dwell on it for long, which is a good thing because I would have psyched myself out before we even. <laughs> began the pitching process. I would have said to myself, "There's no way in hell this thing's ever going to, you know, get made as a television show." But uh, the pitch process was fun. We pitched it uh, for the most part. We we pitched it uh, around town to various uh, uh, cable, basic cable networks, and uh, one or two pay cable networks. And uh, actually, one of the most fun meetings early on was actually uh, uh, to a couple folks. I don't know if I should mention the network or not, but they. I had a really good pitch to a couple of folks at a at a, at a uh, basic. Uh, oh, go ahead. Net. You can say it. <laughs> it was uh, TNT actually, and right. it was a wonderful meeting. It right. was it was a great meeting because the two executives uh, were so attentive and so eager and enjoyed the pitch so much. I've never had a meeting before or since that was that pleasurable in the sense of you know really hooking your audience, as it were. Because, right. you know, when you do a pitch, you, you basically sit there and you, for 20 or 30 minutes, uh, you, you pitch the basic idea of the show and you essentially pitch uh, the first episode. You pitch the pilot in, in pretty good detail because you really want to paint a picture for your, your audience, in this case, executives. And so I'm pitching away, and uh, these folks, these TNT folks, were so 
they dug it. They were just into it. They were like, oh, and then what happens? Oh, that's great. Oh, I love it. Ah. <laughs> it was it was a wonderful, God bless them, it was wonderful. And also to their credit, when it was all said and done, they looked at each other and they looked kind of crestfallen and they said, there's no way in hell we could buy this. They <laughs> said, uh, we would get fired if we if we bought this. We would, uh, you know, uh, this just it's not what we we put on the air here. But uh, they were I I I I I have nothing but good things to say about those folks. They were because uh, they didn't. You know, that's what you want in a meeting. If they're not gonna, the best thing you get in a meeting is a is a is a sale. Right. The, the close second is a quick no. Right. <laughs> and they gave me the quickest no I've ever gotten in a meeting, and and my hat is off to them. That is. You know, so many times in a meeting you, you pitch and people uh, kind of look to each other and then they say, well, thank you for coming in and we'll get back to you. And sometimes, mm-hmm. literally, sometimes you never even hear, you never <laughs> even get the no. You just, they, they, it is assumed by their silence for weeks and months that uh, the pitch didn't work out so good. But, wow. uh, you know, a quick There's no, no manners in Hollywood, Vince. Yeah, you know, <laughs> in general, uh, sometimes that is unfortunately the case, but uh, this but yeah, in this case, these these guys were great, and uh, God bless them. But uh, but it was uh, it was interesting pitching it all around town, and uh, yeah, we're we're. But I tell you, it was you know I'm fatalistic, and we were meant to be where we are at AMC, uh, which is for my money the best network on TV right now, and uh, just great people to work for. Well, they again, I, I agree. I would just take one step back and say, if you, if it did get on TNT, Walt would be making aspirin, I think, instead of you know. <laughs> They're lollipops, maybe. For well, the kids. They, you know, they're 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 doing plenty right over there. They <laughs> they, they got they, they got are. a hell of a lot of viewers, and yeah. uh, they're they're they know what they're doing over there. But there's a lot of sharp edges to Breaking Bad, so that's probably why. And, and you know, yeah. um, credit yeah. AMC for taking it because you know if you look at it, if you look back at uh, uh, your show uh, and Mad Men, I mean, those are two of the most original premises that they must have heard in a long time, and that's. You know, from from our end of it as a TV critic, and we see kind of basically the same idea done ten thousand times, and sometimes almost verbatim. Uh, so when you see something fresh like this, it it really uh, it really stands out. My question to you is like, what what were you doing? Were you like in bed thinking, I'm going to make something about a a meth dealer who's got uh, you know inoperable lung cancer? You know, it's funny. I, I uh, you, you never know where they come from, but I can tell you when I got this idea. I was talking to a buddy of mine named Tom Schnauz, who is a uh, uh, old college buddy I've known for 20 years. Uh, he and I went to NYU film school together, mm-hmm. and he wound up being a writer uh, with me on the X Files. Mm-hmm. And round about 2005, uh, it was about when it happened. Uh, I was on the phone with him. We had been off the X Files for about three years, and we were kind of bemoaning, you know, gee, what do we do next? Things <laughs> are kind of slim pickings out there in the writing world. What right. do we do? Maybe we should think about another gig. Should we, you know, go be, you know, greeters at Walmart? We'd, <laughs> we'd probably be qualified for that. You know, should we, uh, I don't know, uh, buy an RV and put a meth lab in the back of it and drive around the Southwest, you know, cooking crystal? And uh, we, were, we were, you know, joking, obviously. But uh, it was funny, in the middle of joking about this, this image really stuck with me and and in the midst of this 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 character uh, for whom I did not yet have a name mm-hmm. popped into my head this guy who became Walter White and just this idea intrigued me this the idea of a guy it kind of came very quickly uh, you know when inspiration hits and it doesn't hit me that often <laughs> I'd love to say it hits me more often but uh you know I'll take it when it does come right. and it and it was this idea of a of a good man a man who uh 
is is not a lawbreaker. He's never so much as jaywalked or littered, practically, mm-hmm. this guy. And the idea of, of him becoming a uh, desperado, becoming a eventually perhaps a drug kingpin and, and cooking crystal meth and, and being very much a criminal mm-hmm. uh, really intrigued me. That's that's when it hit. Who knows where it came from, but uh, that's that's when it all happened. Right. And and what was the, I think because this is the question that, you know, I, I get a lot from people who want to talk about Breaking Bad is that, you know, they they see the situation and even in, you know, uh, even in the second season and, and, you know, in this podcast, I'll be very careful with spoilers and obviously uh-huh. there's there's some early ones in, in season three we'll just skip over. But, sure. you know, in, in, in two, you know, we find that he's 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 making progress, but He's a guy that's unlikely to 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 you know cure cancer. You get inoperable lung cancer. It's like sure. it's unlikely that you're going to live. And I you know I just can't imagine that you you're just not the kind of guy who would do that. But <laughs> at, least, at least we hope not, right? Right. <laughs> but like I guess what people want to know is probably what some of the executives wanted to know. Like how far can you take this series? And despite the fact that it's meth and he's you know whatever, but like there, it seems like there's a there's a, not an artificial, but there's a time limit on where how this series could go to, to retain its believability. Yes, uh, exactly right, Tim. Uh, and 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 yet, I don't have a, an easy answer or a quick answer for how long that that may be. Um, there's so many factors at play. There's there's the the factor of we are, and and I hopefully this doesn't sound. I don't know how this will sound, but I'll just say it. We we really are kind of making it up as we go along, mm-hmm. and and that is to say that. Uh, you know, I knew from the beginning I wanted to do a show about transformation. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do something that really is kind of different in television, which is take my main character and transform him over the course of the series from the person you see at point A to the person he becomes at point Z, you know, right. which is not the norm for television. The norm for television is protecting the franchise. You you watch uh, Gunsmoke in season 20, <laughs> And and Matt Dillon is the same uh, good-hearted, fast-draw sheriff that he was in episode one. Mm-hmm. And and there's nothing wrong with that. That is that's Agent Mulder and Scully. That's uh, you know the folks on Hill Street Blues. That's uh, you know Archie Bunker. That's you know some of the greatest shows. And you know it's Mash. You know it's the greatest shows you can name in history. Wonderful shows of which I've watched every episode. You know uh, the structure of television is is just that. It's about keeping those people that you tune in to spend time with every week in a in in essentially in a state and in, in, in a in a form of stasis mm-hmm. uh so that you know what you're going to get every week and this show is an experiment just to see if we can go in another direction uh, from that so Walter White being a character who is going to transform himself and already has I mean if you've been watching the show he's already a different dude mm-hmm. you know here on episode you know, by the end of season three, we'll have done thirty-three hours right. of, of his uh, of his story here, and he is, you know, even at the beginning of season three, at the end of season two, which everybody's seen, he's a very different guy from where he was in the pilot. So, all of this long-winded uh, way of saying uh, that uh, we we kind of uh, we know what we're doing with him, but we don't know the exact path that we will take, and. We think we know where things are headed, and then we come. My, my writers and I have uh, have a good time, you know, changing it up. In mm-hmm. other words, you know, we're on a path, but then we see another path that may be more interesting to take, so we take it for a while, and we, 
if we knew exactly what we were writing towards, uh, it would be safer. Uh, I would feel I would sleep easier at night, but uh, the whole thing would be a little less exhilarating for for us writers. And uh, uh, so there's that. We don't know exactly where we're going, although we have uh, very rough uh, guideposts and and ideas of of where we're headed. And then there's the issue of, you know, will this show ever make money for AMC and for Sony Television, and how long will they give us uh, for this this experiment, this little experiment we're, we're we're pulling off or trying to pull off here? Right. They've been wonderfully supportive, Sony and AMC, but uh, you know, we're not ER, we're not uh, we're not American Idol, we never will be. Right. Uh, and uh, so, how long uh, does it work financially? And, uh, and conversely, in success, as happens with a lot of shows, uh, in success, you know, the companies can often want a lot more than you think you have to give them, story-wise. Right. Yeah. So, so that's, you know, there's always the issue of uh, if you're in too soon, you leave people wanting more. And I think it's good in general to leave people wanting a little more. You, you don't want to jump the shark, but uh, so many shows, really good shows, you know, and a lot of viewers' opinions jump the shark. Uh, certainly not on purpose. The folks making them make every best effort to make the show as good as they can. But, uh, you know, you, you want to keep 150, 200 people employed, people who are like family to you. You're, you're still making money on it right. yourself, to mm-hmm. be honest. You, you, there's a lot of financial uh, uh, pressures to keep things going. I'm getting real long-winded here. I no, guess no, my, that's my, fine. It's, it, uh, that, that, it, to me, it's a fascinating process, and I know that a lot of people who were who will listen to it will think that. I mean, everything's okay. fascinating, even the pitch process, being in the room, selling it like I'm, you know, telling the, the scenes. And, and, you know, I will go back because of that first, that first season. Um, well, just a, I don't know, I, I might have told you this in, in July uh, when, we, when the last time I saw you, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I teach a visual studies class at an arts college in, up here and um, for two semesters now, one of the, two different classes, but one, uh, one of the classes is about great television and, like, how do you make great television, how do you sustain it, all the stuff that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and twice I've taught uh, season one of Breaking Bad. Oh, well, I'm flattered. Thank you. Yeah, and, they, they, and the kids, they were, you know, the kids that are college students, they really love it. And, and, and their, their minds opened up and, uh, to not only just, like, Walt's transformation, as you talked about earlier, but just how serious this story is and also how funny it is. And I'm trying to bring all these things with them. And, you know, I saw them, I guess the first season, seven episodes, because it was like strike-shortened, correct? Yes, that is definitely true, right. strike-shortened. And then the 13 episodes in the second season um, <clears throat> that just finished. And, you know, what I try to tell people and, and even write about in, in the Chronicle and stuff is that, again, I think that from the tr- beginning, when, you, when we meet Walt, you know, he's turning 50, he's kind of a little bit of a milk toast character, he's dressed in beige, his whole house is kind of beige. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just, uh, you know, he's this guy who just, uh, you know, has never really asserted himself. He even says he's never really made a decision on his own, really. Yeah. Uh, and then he has this life-changing uh, thing happen to him where he has uh, diagnosed with uh, inoperable lung cancer, and he starts to make meth uh, to, you know, backhanded way, but he gets into it, and, he, and, he makes, and the idea is to leave something for his family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the beginning of the transformation and get into... Uh, and it's a fascinating thing, and it ends after seven episodes of the first season. When I think when viewers went over into the second season, and you see Walt getting deeper and deeper into the business and the dirtier sides of it, mm-hmm. um, I, I got to say, and, I, and I'm not not to just you know, there's very few shows that I sort of fawn over, but this is one of them. I don't really don't think you took a misstep in those 13 episodes that built from uh, one to 13 in the second season, where this 
is an amazing transformation. I, I just like visually, writing wise, I don't, and acting wise, really everything really came together. Did you feel that way as a creator? I'm I'm just so 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 uh, proud to hear it, and uh, and yeah, we we are very we're very proud of season two, and uh, we're hoping uh, people feel the same way about season three because we are very proud of season three coming up, mm-hmm. and I think that you know I just we hired. Starting with Brian Cranston, we hired some of the best actors working anywhere, TV or movies. Right. I think we we've got that going for us. We have an amazing crew. We put together in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, which is linchpinned by our wonderful director of photography, Michael Slovis, who mm-hmm. is you know responsible for this show looking as as wonderful and as cinematic as it looks. And it, and it really does. And that's again, that's something I teach, and I want to get into that with you, so these sure. people can hear it too. Um, and and just to circle back to uh, uh, to um, Cranston and, and and you're talking about you know will the show ever make money? Well, he's I think it's probably I think it's a it's a people are coming to it even now uh, late and it and it's a but you know people who are in are totally addicted to it. That's probably the wrong word, but they're totally <laughs> addicted to it. Uh, but fans continue to come in and and I think the first season. Everybody thought, wow, what an upset victory out of nowhere. Seven episode season, Cranston gets best actor. He follows it up the next season for season two. And then, you know, more of your actors were getting noticed. I think people, I think it's really just people are kind of waking up to it as we start this third season. I, I, I from your mouth to God's ear, as they say, <laughs> I, 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 I hope that to be true. And it's, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, like we started with, I'm, I'm amazed the show as out there as it is, is even on the air. But the fact that people, uh, who watch it are, are are as are as enthusiastic about it as they are. It just tickles me to no end because you know it's a it's a hard show to it's it's an investment yeah. is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's it's not just in my mind. It's not just a serialized show. It's a hyper serialized show is what I is how I tend to refer to it because you know most of our episodes start up you know minutes or seconds after the episode mm-hmm. you know the previous episode ended and and not only that uh, but Little details, I guess mainly little details, big and, details big and little keep coming back. I mean, if Walt kills somebody, uh, that's a, obviously a big, huge thing, and it and, and and it has echoes, you know, from from ever onward, you know, like he did in the pilot, you mm-hmm. know, he, he, he killed Crazy Eight in the right. first couple episodes. You would expect something big like that to to have echoes and and to to come back, perhaps, but little things too, little lies he tells his wife come back, mm-hmm. like we saw in the. Uh, you know, lies big and little come yeah. back on him, and 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 we try never. We try to use every part of the buffalo, as it were. The, the writers and I, we try to uh, to uh, to to make use of little details that even to us were perhaps meaningless or insignificant at the time. And then, you know, hours and hours of storytelling later, many episodes later, they come back, and uh, that is uh, all of that to say. I know. That it is an investment of time and attention span uh, for folks to be into this show, uh, especially in a world now that is so uh, full of, of things that are, you know, tugging at our eyeballs. Yeah, exactly. You know, there, there's so much, so much to pay attention to uh, in modern life, or whether or not things are worthy of being uh, paying attention to. We 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 nonetheless feel we have to pay attention to so many things going on. There's so much. Uh, uh, you know, uh, noise out mm-hmm. there and uh, things worthy and maybe not so worthy pulling on our eyeballs, as I say. But uh, I know it takes a lot to get into the show, and I'm just so appreciative of folks who, who spend the time and make the effort. 
Well, I think I think that's uh, you know why I think it's a little late coming in. You had the short season, but then such a brilliant second season. Uh, and and I think that people are really kind of starting to mass at the starting line now for people who are coming into it late, and hopefully they'll be getting the first and second uh, seasons and, and digesting them before we go go forward into this third one on the 21st. But I want to get back to what you said about uh, uh, Walt's transformation because that's really the essence of the story. And it's uh, um, there's two things I, I think that we talked about, and one that I laughed about when you said, "Well, you know, I mean, you we, you, you discussed it in detail, which was great." But at the time when we were at, in, in uh, Los Angeles, you said, "You know, I, well, we're kind of making it up as we go." And I think I almost <laughs> fell on the floor, and you, you started laughing. And the other was I, we had a great talk about this, but it was just between the, you and I, really. But uh, the this notion, and I and I love this series, and I and I thought, you know, okay, I like this idea, but I wanted to float it out to the to the people who watch it, and then you and I talked about it, and it was this idea that here you have this milk toast character in the first seven episodes, who's slowly, slowly, he's battling cancer, he's he's got he's got this family that it's just you know his wife's his wife is pregnant, his son has MS and uh, or cerebral palsy, and he's just you know there's so much going on, they they need money, it's, it's just it, there's a lot of a downer part of it. And then, he, you know, he's making these things to keep his family. That's the original idea, to, to support his family before he dies. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't quite happen, And then, but he's got his foot in the drug business, and it grows and grows. This is like this thing that just keeps coming back. Right. And uh, uh, midway through the second season, as he's really becoming a, not just a dealer, but a little bit more ruthless about it and a little bit more driven about it, even, even after he kind of gets this diagnosis that, you know, your, his death isn't actually imminent. And then, right. by the way, that was a beautiful scene when he washes his face and then punches the towel dispenser. Oh, great! He's just, just he's alive, and it, and it's almost like it pisses him off because yeah. it's counter to his plan. Exactly. So when I asked you, I said, you know, do you worry at all that Walt is going to your main character is going to become unlikable? And that's when you said, you know, this is not about likability; it's about this transformation. So tell me a little bit about what you think people should expect or think about Walt and, the, and what you and your writers are doing to sort of take this guy out of a, a safe zone and walk him down into this, you know, drug dealer. He's involved with some, some deaths, and he makes some very, very difficult decisions. Yes, I mean, it's well put, everything you just said. It, it, uh, to me, this is, and I mentioned that it's a story of transformation. It's, to put it another way, it's a, I'm trying to think of the perfect analogy here. It's either a Jekyll and Hyde story except a story in which, uh, Dr. Jekyll is gradually turning into Mr. Hyde, and there's no going back to Dr. Jekyll once he gets there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no real perfect analogy for it, or it's kind of a Wolfman story. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's shades of both, I suppose, but it's, you know, and it's, 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 uh, I'm trying to think of the right analogies here, but it's also a story in which, uh, you know, that examines the uh, corrupting force of, of evil, I mm-hmm. guess. I mean, if you. You know the road to I'm, every every cliche I can think of. I'm going to throw at you here. That's but fine. That's but, good. But it's like the road to hell is paved with good intentions. That's mm-hmm. a good one. He started off. I believe Walt did start off this start off on this path to to leave money to his family. He felt robbed when he found out he was dying of cancer. He felt like he had never truly lived. He'd been sleepwalking right. for 50 years. He'd been doing quote unquote the right thing. Right. You know, and being the the good man that uh, the world expects you to be yeah jesse asked him jesse pinkman asked him if he's crazy and he looks at him and says i'm alive i'm, I'm a, i am awake, I'm awake. Right. I'm, awake. I'm awake yes and actually it's funny we shot it both ways i think he did say in one version i am alive but uh we went with awake yeah but uh better. they they both fit and mm-hmm. 
you know, this is a guy having the world's worst midlife crisis when we meet him, and then it gets worse because it's truly an end-of-life crisis. Mm -hmm. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's an experiment, what what we're doing here. It is an experiment, and I myself do not know if it will ultimately succeed. Well, you don't have a safety net, really, which is which is interesting because you know we have this notion, and I love that it's an experiment and that it's it's right in the and it's in this right spot for it on a sort of aggressively uh, adult grown up cable channel where they where they don't spoon feed you uh, you know easy easy shows. You have to sort of go with it. There's a lot of gray areas here, but Walt, you know, the idea that you would take your character and walk him in this area where somebody might say, you know what, that's uh, he's doing bad things. Yeah. And and you know it's an answer to you to what you were saying a minute ago. It, it, we will. Uh, I mentioned this. We uh, was very flattered uh, that we were at the Paley Festival here mm-hmm. in Los Angeles last night and had a real good time there. And I was supposed to. I was supposed to be the uh, the interviewer that day. I just couldn't do it. Oh oh yeah. I got oh. asked. They asked me to come down and 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 host that. Oh <laughs> well, uh, you were missed. But uh, also uh, David Cronkey, who who introduced, oh, yeah. did a wonderful mm-hmm. job and. Uh, did a really excellent job and was a wonderful interviewer and it, it worked out very nicely. And uh, but I mentioned uh, what was my point? I mentioned that um, you know I said because the question arose uh, as it often does. It's because it's a good question. You know how long will people continue to like Walt? Mm-hmm. And the answer is that some people already don't like him and have tuned out already. I mm-hmm. mean you know for a fact, when you think about it, the audience is not a monolith, is the way I put it last night. The audience is not of one mind. Right. And uh, some folks have already said, you know what, you know, it may be a well-made show, maybe this and that and the other, good acting, but this guy's such a, a, a creep that uh, why would I keep watching? Other people, and hopefully, you know, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta hope and pray, it's the right. vast majority of folks right. uh, are along for the ride for the long run and are wanting to see how the experiment turns out. But, uh, you got to figure, you know, at a certain point, you've put enough salt on your French fries, and, mm-hmm. and there's a little more salt would make it taste bad, not good. And right. uh, that's the way it is with uh, a little bad, you know, a little, uh, the, the guy breaks bad a little, you know, Breaking Bad. And right. by the way, I should mention uh, for folks who don't know, uh, Breaking Bad is an old Southernism. I'm from Virginia, mm-hmm. and it's it just means to raise hell. Right. And, uh yeah, this guy's breaking bad, watching a guy break bad a little bit, fun, a little bit more fun. At a certain point, do, do you lose folks? And, again, with the experiment, uh, uh, you know, uh, analog, but uh, this is, you know, this is wondering, you know, you can't, I imagine you can't dip your toe, never lived it myself, but I can't imagine you can really dip your toe into being a criminal and, right. and, you know, you dip your toe, you wind up falling in up to your knees, you sink up to your waist, you know, you just keep sinking into it. You, you, it's hard to break a little bad, in right, other words. Right, exactly. Uh-huh. And, and uh, this guy, you know, he tells himself a lot of things. He's a world-class rationalizer, mm-hmm. and he rationalizes his behavior as being good for his family, but in the face of, you know, swiftly mounting evidence to the contrary, he still continues to you know, assert at least to himself that that he's doing this for good reasons, and, mm. and that the ends justify the means. And the audience is smarter than that. The audience gets that he's deluding himself. Mm-hmm. But you know, even as he gets to be a, a less defensible character, in other words, a less likable character, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully he is nonetheless always fascinating. Yeah, always so I, interesting. I was, yeah, I was just going to say. I mean, isn't the fascinating thing about 
that kind of story and this series in particular is that, you know, life is not, you, you know, it's, well, Hollywood has taught us that it's a white hat, black hat, good versus evil. Yeah. But it's really not that because, you know, good people can do bad things and, yeah. you know, uh, people can break bad and then be redeemed. They can, you know, no one is without sin, as they say. And so, yeah. you know, it's the fascinating part about this experiment that you say you're on, I think, is that it, it, it's new to television, you know, at least in the modern cable area we've, era, we've seen a lot of uh, uh, executive producers, creators take chances with, you know, whether it's The Sopranos or, uh, you know, The Shield or, 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 you know, your show or Mad Men. They're just, you know, they take some chances and they do some storytelling where, you know, the main character is not, you know, totally, you know, easily to figure out. And I think, isn't the fascinating part about Walt that you still like him and he, there are moments when, he, when he's with his family that he, you feel like, plus he's dying. You've got to have some sympathy for him. So it's very complicated, yeah. isn't it, this web? It, it is. It, you know, it's a, uh, I like the way you put it. I mean, uh, I, I use the term gray hat. It's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, right. it's not all white hats and black hats. Uh, the world is made up of gray hats. I mean, uh, it's really what it is. And, uh, you know, I like surprising the audience. I like when characters surprise the audience by surprising themselves. I like moments where the bad guy uh, shows some compassion and I like moments where the good guy breaks bad and, and sort of every every little thing in between, every uh, permutation in between. Mm-hmm. And um, But yeah, you know, and also I should say at this point that you know, we work very hard on the writing, and yes. we, 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 we work at, uh, we, we think about it six ways from Sunday and try to, you know, figure it out from that angle. But but all of this would be moot if not for the great Brian Cranston. I mean, this is a guy, you know, we could be giving him the best uh, dialogue, the best scenes in the world, and if he weren't up to the task, meaning, you know, this is a guy, this actor, who is very... Uh, deservedly won uh, the actor Emmy for best drama uh, two years running. Agreed. And may it may it ever be thus as long mm-hmm. as the show is on. You know, for my money. But uh, this is a guy who uh, um, is really um, he he's not just he doesn't have, just have the acting chops that he needs to have for a show like this. He's not just dramatic and funny and scary at times mm-hmm. and emotional and but he's also Brian possesses this this basic uh, humanity that mm-hmm. really comes through. It comes out of his eyes. It comes out of his movements. It comes out of his speech patterns. It's something he just possesses. He's just a, a, a just a rock-solid good guy in real life. And he is likable, and he is sympathetic. And there are actors, uh, I'm not thinking of any personally at the moment, right. but there are actors out there who possess the skill sets of acting, but but do not possess or do not exude that kind of humanity and sympathy and therefore wouldn't work in this role. So, Absolutely. So we're so lucky we've got the whole package, you know, in Brian. It's essential, I think, to the success of the show that he does have it. And you're right, it comes down to that casting was was tremendous because if you didn't have that, people, I think, would have tuned out probably already. Absolutely. Absolutely true. Uh, folks would have said, well, I don't know what they would have said, but I, if it had been me, I guess I would have said, you know what, I just I just don't dig the guy enough. He doesn't interest me enough, or I just I can't relate to him. And I think the way it works with Brian in the lead here is that as the show progresses, people say, my God, he's such a, he's such a, he's turned into such a, just a villain. I mean, and yet, 
at times. I mean, right. you know, and he's not always, you know, even in his uh, blackest moments, uh, darkest moments, he's, uh, you know, he's, you know, the glimmer of humanity and of, of who he used to be comes through, mm-hmm. and 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 the and the neediness he he feels and the desire to keep his family intact and and you know it, it's those things do come through and you know if they didn't yeah people would say you know and I, I just I, I can't follow this guy anymore but but at his at his worst i think people say i don't agree with what he's doing here i don't right. agree that he stood by and watched jane die right. you know of a heroin overdose mm-hmm. but i i understand i understand you know, sort of like that old uh, Chris Rock joke about OJ. Right. <laughs> I don't agree, but I, you know, I don't. Uh, but uh, I understand. I, I get why he did it. Right. Uh, you know, that was a weird aside. But <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> you, but, you remember you know, the old Chris Rock thing? Yeah, right? and and that's uh, and, and I think the thing with. Uh, with the character where it goes through these things, it's really uh, interesting because you have the first, the first time he's involved with this sort of killing, it's like self-defense, and then you have to, you, know, you kind of have to do it, and then it, that first season way that it played was just phenomenal. When he when he gets later in, into this, you know, tougher edge, it's still, you know, it's still that that moment, you know, with Jane was the a, a real talker. I mean, obviously that that was a dividing line in the series, but. Yeah. You know, he. You could also think that it wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't strictly like a business decision. I mean, there was still the fact that there was Jesse, uh, and that she was driving him down a bad way as yeah. well. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just. I mean, the, the the thing about the show that I, what I love is that there's. It always keeps you guessing. I mean, I, I never saw that coming. And and you know, the dark side of our side of the business is we see so much stuff. You can start to see it coming because if you do traditional storytelling, there's a pattern and you know what's going to happen. In Breaking Bad, there's so many scenes that you can't. I mean, forget the finale of the second season, which was mind blowing, and it's I never in a million years saw that coming. <laughs> but I loved that, uh, and there and, and the thing with Jane was just like I think I I think I was exhausted at the end of that episode, and I just kind of like sat there like wow. And uh, but on the on a funnier level about things not being seen, and this is kind of why I like the show because it's so challenging. And, and talking to your writers. In July, which and they are they are a great bunch uh, of people are. and uh, very talented. Um, th- but talking to them about like I said, okay, look, this is Breaking Bad, and and shit happens in this show that it's just outrageous. And I said, okay, first of all, who decided that you're going to take that severed head and put it on a tortoise? <laughs> I mean, that's just you know that's bad enough. And, and, and the and the image of that w- is just kind of startling. And I'm like, and I said, that's a little bit of genius. You have that kind of walking through. Uh, and then they were all talking, and I forget who raised his hand. I said, "All right, well, who's well?" Only this show would say, "You know, that's not enough." We got the head on a torso walking through the desert with a note written on it. Let's blow it up. I mean, that's just that's insane. I had, I mean, to, cr- I had, to, I had to credit a specific writer on that one. Uh, we we I don't know where the original uh, head on the tortoise came from because, and I, and I say that. With all honesty, you you get kind of a group mind going right. in the mm-hmm. writers' room, and there's eight of us counting me, and I have seven really smart, really funny, and interesting people, and you you sit around for hours and hours and hours on end, throwing ideas out, throwing stuff, as they say, throwing stuff at the wall, right. and seeing what sticks. And when we came up with that, <laughs> it was maybe a little before lunch one day, and I just started laughing, and I said, uh, you know what, we've earned our money for the day, we should just go home now, <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the head on the tortoise, and uh, then George Masters, one of our writer-producers, said, and then it blows up, 
And everybody laughed, and I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, no, I mean it. Then it blows up. <laughs> and I said, are you out of your mind? Are you, why would stop gilding the lily? Why do we need to, we've already got a head on a, you know, just quit while we're ahead here. And but by God, he was right, and that's exactly what we needed to 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 take it to that next level and really button the scene correctly. And, oh, uh, just tremendous, yeah, just so. like. And there's so many of those, which is you know also I think part of why some people would keep going. Is if the, the series is a challenge, and it continues to surprise, and it continues to take turns. Um, and I'd be remiss to say that I think that uh, not only that, but one of the one of the huge elements that I think elevated season two. To, to you know, really rarefied heights on, on on television now is that the rest of the cast, which has started to really come out in in by the sixth seventh episode, uh, and even earlier, you can see where where you took a I think you took a pause in the first season episode four and five and sort of reset the series where you let it breathe a little bit after the chaos of the first three and you mm-hmm. started to introduce more uh, about the, each character's personality. But in the second season. You know, it. Everybody really blossomed, but in particularly Jesse Pinkman, the the his uh, his uh, sidekick, played by Aaron Paul, who I thought was delivered an Emmy-winning performance in, in season two. Absolutely, I, I got to say, Aaron Paul. I mean, you know, Aaron Paul is so damn good. And and you know, the, the funny thing is, I was telling this at the Paley last night. Um, the original intention, uh, my original intention, uh, back when I was writing the pilot. Uh, was to kill off the character of Jesse at the end of season one. Mm-hmm. And uh, the joke last night was that the writer's strike uh, saved him, that <laughs> we didn't get to do the last two. But but really, uh, honestly, I knew, you know, working on the pilot, shooting the pilot, and then uh, if I didn't know it by then, I certainly knew it, you know, in episode one or two after the pilot. Right. I knew this guy was the real deal. He had he really had the goods. And uh you know he's a great actor. He's he can be he can make you cry. He can make you laugh. He can do anything in between. He's right. good looking as hell. I think he's going to be a movie star. Yeah, after the, this is over. I and really the thing, do. A thing about Jesse, I think, in the first certainly the first season, was he is a very much needed comic relief to Walt's burgeoning transformation. Yes. And and, and there's a couple of I think uh, episode two and three where there's some some really gross scenes with the bathtub, but that yeah. he's fantastic with his and he, his ability to to, to sort of. His humor is, and the character written that way is just so funny. But you get into the beginning of season two, um, you know he's all, he can, he maintains the, a funny character, but he also you really start to flesh him out, and you really understand that this kid, like Walt, but in a totally different way, is way over his head. Yeah, absolutely. you know he's he's way over his head. He's got so many doubts. He's got so much tragedy around his personal life and what's happening with Walt. Yeah, and and and, uh, and Aaron Paul just really brought a real humanity to him, which I think you need if you're telling a story about drug dealers. It's so true. Aaron possesses uh, that that uh, very similar uh, humanity and, and likability and, and, and sympathy. He's easy to sympathize with, just like uh, Brian Cranston is. I feel actually all of my actors uh, possess that. They are all uh, deep people, uh, people uh, let me put it differently, people of depth, mm-hmm. all of them, uh, right. uh, to a man and to a woman. All of my... Uh, ensemble are people of depth and substance and humanity and just a great bunch of actors uh, who who never worry about looking bad on film who never worry about anything but the emotional truth of the scene that they're shooting mm-hmm. and uh and all of all of them and you know i just feel like i fell ass backward into into four-leaf clovers here right. because uh <laughs> you know i 
we all have wonderful casting people, wonderful folks uh, who cast this show, and we all, you know, as with every show, you put your best foot forward and you try to cast the best people for the part. But I didn't know when I hired these people originally just how lucky I was going to turn out to be because, for instance, um, the part of Skyler, I, I didn't know later on how necessary and important and worthwhile it would be that Skyler should be able to be funny. Right. Mm-hmm. And and a gun, uh, I mean, there's moments in the pilot, you, you see moments, the, the moment with the hand job scene that, right. that shows mm-hmm. that uh, Skyler and Walt's marriage has, yeah. has gotten kind of staid and right. boring. But later on moments uh, that came up in, in the first, you know, a half dozen episodes or so, uh, you know, arose moments where Skyler gets to be really funny. And I... They arose partly because I came to realize that the actress Anna Gunn could play all those moments. Yeah, you know, she's fantastic. Dean Norris, who plays Hank, um, you know, if you watch the pilot and you go back and watch it, Hank is he's kind of a good old boy. He's kind mm-hmm. of a frat boy. He doesn't have, as written by me, he doesn't have a whole lot of depth as a character. And in fact, I hate to admit it, but he's, his character exists you know, for logistical reasons, in the pilot as much as anything. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a character who is uh, intended to help Walt uh, get the idea to cook crystal meth. He's he's kind of a, a plot point. Right. And Dean Norris, who plays Hank, is he can do all those scenes uh, with his eyes closed, yeah. but uh, he's also a man of substance and depth and and compassion, and uh, he's a good man. He's 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 funny because in real life you hang out with Dean. And he's like, hey, buddy, hey. And he's just like Hank, <laughs> right, and, just like Hank. <laughs> and yet he's not. Well, he he is because Hank's turned out to be more like Dean. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. Dean, there's so much more to Dean, and therefore, once I got to know that, and once my writers got to know that, there's so much more to Hank. You know, and and I love the fact that. You know, a guy who you think in the pilot is going to turn out to be, he's probably going to be a guy who, who, you know, cuts corners or maybe is, right. you know, you just get the feeling the he's going to be a dirty cop yeah. or a Yahoo or whatever. He's, he's, and he's kind of, he's kind of, if not racist, he's, uh, he's, he's at least you, in the pilot, you can say he's not really politically sensitive <laughs> or racially sensitive right. to, to folks' feelings. And he's kind of a Yahoo, like you said. And, and yet the more you get to know this guy, the more you realize he's got, that that depth and substance I'm talking about, and 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 it's so fun to realize these things about your actors and and write to them, and and that's what we've been doing, and 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 so yeah, back to your original question, yeah, you know, Aaron Paul and and Dean Norris, Betsy Brandt, Anna Gunn, R.J. Mitty, all these folks, you, you're going to see, and going forward into season three, you're going to see more of all of them still, and learn more about all of them still, and it's. It's so much because the actors have risen to the occasion so wonderfully that uh, it's easy and it's a pleasure to to write to their strengths. And yeah, and 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 speaking of Anna, I mean, I've always thought you know, like she she's special in that she uh, it takes a special actress to sort of like sit back and sort of let the the Walt character develop in that first season, and and, and then you you know you you see her strength in in periods and and then. She just gets stronger and stronger, and like you said, she has the she has the funny and the other things. She's very, she's plays the supportive wife, mm-hmm. but as an actress, she really shines as she starts to to, to figure out something's gone sideways. Exactly. And exactly. there's some scenes where, not only in the first season, but in the second season, especially, I think she was really 
coming into her own, and I, I would venture to say that season three is going to be the season of Anna Gunn at some point. <laughs> I, I think that is a uh, very uh, astute assessment. Yeah, yeah, and and there's that scene in the second in the second uh, season where she gets in Walt's face, and they're and it, they're so close. There's that frightening intensity, and you realize, you know, she because she's a wonderful actress, and she's I wouldn't say she's overlooked, but she plays. She's got a reserve quality that does, she, you know, her ego is, remains in check, but she does really, really superb work. She really does. She, uh, you know, and when she turns it on, I mean, it's uh, like that scene. I mean, you're, I, I wasn't even there when they shot it. I'm just watching it in the editing room. And, and that when she gets in his face, as you say, and, and, and just, you know, goes toe-to-toe with him, and he, he's like, man, I, I would never want her mad at me. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, great, that's a great evolution of her character. And, you know, one of the things that I uh, definitely want to get to here, because this is what sort of the uh, undergrad, I mean, there's so much about Walt and his transformation and everything else, but one of the things that I certainly bring up in the class, the visual studies class that I talk about this, this one, and I, and I do it in, in print as much as possible, or if we're talking about it somewhere, uh, you know, in a public setting with pe- people who are fans of the show, I, I could be wrong about this, but I, and I've done this on the blogs and stuff that I know that your uh, writers have picked up on, but to me, for Breaking Bad, what, what's so underwritten about this show is that the use of color and sound I, I just, it's just, right now, I think it's just unmatched on television. First of all, the sound, uh, I don't know if it's a mandate from you, but it's very, very limited sound, a lot of natural sound, uh, ambient sounds. Uh, there's never anything that's too, uh, that overrides, and it, there's very minimal use of music, and but it's just natural sounds. Uh, and the color palette and how it's shot, it's, it's like a cinema, you know, it's a cinematographer's dream probably to shoot this, but it's just a beautiful sense of all those desert, you know, Albuquerque browns mixed in with oranges and reds. And, and, and I don't know, there's something about the color and the sound of this series that are, that are unbelievable. Well, I thank you, Tim, because we do, uh, it's, not a, it's not a fluke. We do spend a lot of time thinking about uh, both those aspects of the show. I mean, uh, to start with, I'm, you know, I didn't, and I didn't, uh, I'm so glad this, this was not my doing, but I'm so glad we shoot the show in 16 by 9 format, mm-hmm. which is something, you know, I was on the X-Files for seven years, and uh, Chris Carter struggled, uh, fought the good fight, struggled for years to, to get Fox to shoot, uh, to shoot our show at 16 by 9 widescreen, and we just, you know, it just, it was too early for it. Right. But um, I'm so glad to see televisions getting wider, the televisions mm-hmm. at the store getting wider, and, uh, and so many networks going at least 16 by 9. I'd love to see it go, uh, you know, 2.35 to 1, you know, go even further, go absolute, you know, whatever, Cinerama or whatever. I'd love to see it go even wider still. But, uh, you know, all of that to say, I love the fact that TVs are bigger now, and I think TV shows haven't yet caught up. And I, I like the fact that we're, to toot our own horn a little, I think we're one of the first to to really shoot for bigger television mm-hmm. in the sense of television in general is a very tight medium it's you know it's all about the uh, choker close up uh, that that cuts in at the right. top of the frame cuts halfway through the forehead and and cuts cuts off if say the say the actor it's a close up and the actor's looking frame right you know you're you're cutting off the uh the right ear and mm-hmm. you're cutting down into the forehead and you're and you're you know and it gets to a point and shows you know, and that's a great shot. That's a very wonderful, exciting, dramatic shot. But just like hot fudge <laughs> on your hot fudge Sunday, too much of it 
is like, ugh, yeah, you know? it goes a long way. <laughs> you don't want it to be a choker close-up and having the character say, you know, uh, we ran out of toilet paper. You know, you want right. to save it for I'm pregnant or he's dead or right, whatever, exactly. you know, not, not the toilet paper line. And uh, so I love the fact that uh, AMC is so supportive of, of, of us shooting this show like an old John Ford movie, like a Sergio Leone movie, like an Akira Kurosawa movie, that where we get to hang back and we get to frame for those tableau shots. We get to shoot extraordinarily wide. Yeah. And when I say wide, I don't mean you just using a wide-angle lens, which every show does from time to time. I mean taking whatever lens we're shooting and just getting in a truck and, and hauling it backward, you know, like 100 feet, 200 feet, and shooting shooting these amazing vistas that we have that we're so lucky to have out in Albuquerque. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, and it's just, uh, I mean, I love, we started off this season, and I'm sorry, we started, yeah, season three, I can't remember what year it is. We started <laughs> right. off season three in particular uh, with uh, my wonderful producer, Michelle McLaren, who's also directed many of our episodes now. Uh, Michelle and I and Melissa Bernstein, my other great producer on the show, showing all of our upcoming directors the opening 15 minutes of uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. <laughs> you know, amazing Leone movie. Right. Uh, the first 15 minutes of which there's there's just like one or two lines of dialogue, and it's three guys waiting for a train. And if you most most folks who who would listen to a, a smart podcast like this have already heard of it, already right. seen it. But for those of you who haven't, it's definitely a rental. You want to rent that on Blu-ray or DVD or whatnot. But yeah. it's it's just great filmmaking, great shot making, great composition, and you know that's what we're we're going for here. And you can do that now in a way you couldn't do it even five six, eight years ago because, you know, you got those great widescreen uh, flat hang-on-the-wall TVs now. Yeah, so. and, and is, that, is that something, that shot from that movie, is that what we were trying to stamp that in their minds, like to take advantage of that as you shoot on location? And exactly. Movie? Remember that this is you know, sort of the, 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 the impetus and the idea, the, 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 the moral there showing them the first 15 minutes was remember that this is, trying very hard not to be a typical TV show. It's trying to look different. It's trying to sound different. You know, speaking and, and, and sort of stamp that into your brain as you're prepping and as you're shooting. Try to try to think in terms of what television does and then go the other way. Right. And it's it's the, the you know, there were several scenes uh, of that. There's many scenes of that, of, of the uh, outdoors in Albuquerque. I love how you use the sort of the fading light. There's to get that oranges and, and, and reds in there. But also you've had the, the, the cook site, the rolling RV, uh, has had that smoke that, that when they're brewing the chemicals, yeah. cooking them up, coming out of the top. Yeah. It's just such a great contrast. And you take that wide shot of the desert and you see that RV and all the colors, that stench of the chemicals and yellows and stuff. It's just amazing. You know, you know how much it's amazing? I, I'm always astounded. I, I, I even haven't done this for, I mean, been in the business now for 20 years going on it, uh, I'm amazed how hard it is to get to do anything. It's, if people knew how much work went into any television show, whether it's a show they loved or a show they hated, or, you know, it's just amazing the man hours and such. And, and I say this as preamble to uh, to what I'm about to say, which is uh, I'm keying off of your thing about the smoke. That yellow smoke you see pouring out of the top of that RV mm-hmm. is... You know, you gotta every time you use smoke, for instance. And we have a wonderful special effects guy named Dennis Peterson, mm-hmm. and he comes to me and he says, and I say in the script, you know, I want I want the smoke to be uh, kind of yellow, 
and he says, "What shade of yellow?" And you know, and we, he shows me test, test after test after test. We we started maybe with red, and then we went to yellow, and then we went to grayish yellow, and you know, all over the place. And then the issue is, oh, by the way, this stuff is uh, <laughs> kind of toxic, and uh, OSHA and uh, the, you know various uh, folks uh, looking out for the crew, which is great. God right. bless them. Right. Say that you know anyone working with this stuff has to have respirators on, and you know, so then you got to figure out a way to shoot your shots with the smoke without any people present. Right. You know, if there's someone present, maybe you got to figure out a way to edit it so it looks like they're there when they're really not, or maybe you got to digitally insert them. Maybe you got to, you know, it's just the amount of crap you got to deal with <laughs> just to get, to a, get beauty. <laughs> just to get some yellow smoke blocking <laughs> through the frame. It's it's it just it's amazing. Well, but, well uh, two two instances of both just uh uh visuals and 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 sound i go back to to spark your memory on this was the in second season uh, one of my favorite visuals of is when uh, uh jesse's trying to get the rv back he's climbing over the fence yeah um and and not only that it just it goes to to me one of the best scenes maybe you guys have ever shot because it goes to the the full composition of of the color sound and and character and everything he he falls he's going to step on top of the the outhouse the yeah uh, yeah yeah and he's thinking that's got to get him over, and it, and he's and, and the dude has just suffered. He's in such bad shape, yeah. and he falls right through the roof, right into the crapper, and there's no swelling music or anything like that. It just it's just the sound of him crunching into it, and it's still an overhead shot, and all the green from the chemicals of the toilet spill out onto the muddy, you know, dirt. And it's just this beautiful overhead shot of all you can see is this green color or whatever pour out. Yeah. And then, which is, a, you know, in enough, would have been enough right then. But the fact that uh, Jesse has, he, you know, to survive that, because he's full of stench, he's got to put on this gas mask. And he ro- gets into the RV with this gas mask on his head. And, and it's a funny scene. And it's just, it's like, God, this guy, he just, he's just such a loser and everything's going wrong with him. And he's, now he stinks to high hell. He's covered in this stuff. He opens the door, he lays down. But it goes one step further because you're laughing, and then he rolls over, and they got the shot inside the mask where he's crying. Yeah, and it's just like, holy man, that is just you know, hats <laughs> off to you. That was that was fantastic. And then and then we talked a little bit about Dean Norris and the evolution of his character, where he goes from sort of Yahoo tough guy cop, and he has a little bit of a breakdown. And that scene, the sound scene, uh, where he's brewing up his own beer, and I guess uh, over over hops it or something and he's he's really et- on edge and you just forget that he's brewing that and all the tops blow off of him like like gunshots yeah yeah really amazing sound uh, I, well you know I'm, I'm glad you brought up the sound again because yes it's we have such a wonderful sound crew on this show just the the tops uh, the best mixers the best sound effects guys the best uh, adr folks we just uh, we and they do such stellar work week in and week out and they care so much about the show and uh and with the color you mentioned earlier, we do have extensive talks. I talk with my DP. I talk with my wonderful uh, uh, costume designer and with our wonderful production designer. I talk with all these folks and at length about, you know, what color everybody's going to wear, what color uh, is the background of this right. particular scene. And, and every uh, every character on the show does have their own uh, color palette that mm-hmm. we pick at the beginning of each season. Wow. And we, in in the spirit of change and transformation and what the show is really all about we we change it up from time to time and you know for instance Walt 
even in the pilot and throughout season one, he starts off in beiges, and we transform him slowly into greens, mm-hmm. shades of green. Skyler uh, always was blue uh, at the beginning of uh, season one. We have been transforming her now uh, into uh, actually bringing her into some blacks, but we also took her into green for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marie, of all our actors, uh, Marie or characters, Marie is our only character who is, is sort of steadfast and constant, which kind of fits the bill for her because right. she really is a is a is a character who knows the way things should be, you know, in <laughs> right. life, and and kind of abides or sticks by that. Right. And uh, she is always purple. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's always in, in various shades of purple. But uh, Hank is uh, trends toward orange, although he's been getting darker as mm-hmm. the seasons have progressed. And uh, Jesse uh, started off in, in reds and blacks, and uh, and has gradually changed and uh, changes further still uh, in um, in season three. And you know, because you know, I should say it, it, it's really not just Walt who's who's changing. It mm-hmm. really, that my initial thought in the you know uh, with the pilot was Walt is undergoing a transformation, but really. It'd be wrong to leave out the rest of the uh, characters in the show, and indeed, they're all transforming mm-hmm. uh, at various speeds and in fits and starts. But they're all in a in a state of of change, and uh, will continue to change as yeah. the, as the series progresses. Well, I love that you just sort of detailed all that color because those things. I mean, uh, when people are trying to figure out like what makes a great television series, and uh, and and this one in particular, but you know, Mad Men, Sopranos, all that kind of stuff. All the details matter, and, and, and like, there's not, you know, you talked about how, how hard it was to make a show. I think viewers to uh, sometimes don't have quite an understanding of, like, how much goes into it. But if you're really striving for greatness, every little detail like that matters. I love the fact that there are two competing uh, cliches that I've heard my whole life. <laughs> uh-huh. God is in the details, right. and the devil is in the details. Right. And they are both true. And, right. you know, to me... I mean that's the joy of getting to be a showrunner. You're you're not just writing these episodes. I'm so lucky I get to do this job, even though it's kind of kind of uh, brutally hard on right. on the you know hour hour wise. You right. know, but but it's great. You get you creating your you're in your own little world. I mean it's it's not just George Lucas uh, and Gene Roddenberry who get to create their own new world. You know, with uh, science fiction type stuff. You're anyone who's creating a TV show is creating their own little world and, and, and stocking it with the characters that they want to watch and, 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 and having it abide by the rules that they themselves make up. And it's a, it's a great job. And, uh, but I will say I'm so lucky that we only do 13 episodes a season because, uh, you know, any more, and I don't think we'd be able to pull it off. It's right. just, we're, we're sort of at the breaking point with 13, but, right. uh, but it's, it's just, yeah, the, you know, all those details are, they are part and parcel of the story. They are what is important. And, and you know, for, for instance, with the writing, people think people, and understandably, people who don't do it for a living don't know how it works, nor should they, you know, nor should they. Just mm-hmm. like I don't know how to do brain surgery, you mm-hmm. know. I'm just glad somebody's doing <laughs> right, it. Right, somebody's got but, it. But, uh, but with writing, is, folks figure, ah, the writing, it's about putting the words in the characters' mouths. But really, uh, to me and to my writers, and we're all of of a mind about this here, um, it's about the writing is really, the story is really what's going on between the words Mm -hmm. when the folks aren't talking. Mm -hmm. When the, you know, it's, it's because as we all know in real life, 
you know, in movies, it's often, you know, the character says what's on his mind or her mind, and they, you, you know, thusly, you know, what's going on, because the character says, you know, you know, Ted, how long have we been best friends? You know, and those kind of, you know, you know, ropes of dialogue right. that you, uh, you kind of, you heard them so often, you kind of, you're like, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. You don't even notice them anymore at a certain right. point. But if you're paying close attention to real life, which every writer should do, you're thinking, you're realizing that people not only don't say what is on their mind, typically, but very often they say the opposite of what's on their mind. And if you're being honest, you're, you're, you're incorporating that into your work, and you're also realizing that the big moments are the moments people in which people are not talking. Right. I had one of my writers, Peter Gould, uh, has been with me since day one here uh, after the pilot, uh, once we start shooting. He came to me very excited last season, and he said, uh, this episode I'm working on, I, I, I look back through it, and there are four like four and a third pages of script in which there's not a single word of dialogue. And he was just over the moon. He was just grinning ear to ear. And I, I, I so appreciated that when he said that because it was like, yeah, they, they, they get it. He right. gets it. They all get it. This, yeah. is, this is the story. This is, you know, this is a, a medium. We're so lucky to be working in a medium, uh, film, television. To me, it's the same thing. But it's a filmed medium in which... You can tell a story through a glance, through lingering a little too long on one character looking to another character. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can, you have uh, at your palette, in your palette there, in your toolbox, you have an amazing array of subtleties. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need to beat the audience over the head with a hammer. You can tickle them with a feather, as it were. You can, you can tell your story with these subtle, tiny little changes of expression that our wonderful actors are capable of. You don't have to have them say, I love you or I hate you. You show it through a look, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's and that's obviously nothing at all we've invented here. It's just we're we're trying our best to make use of it, you know, something that's been around ever since uh you know, the Lumiere Lumiere brothers, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whoever, you know, Edison first invented the motion picture camera. It's it's been around ever since then. It's just it doesn't get used to full effect usually in television and we're trying to change that. Well, I think that, and you're, and you're successful doing that. And I think that's kind of why we're where we are now with this series. I mean, I, again, like I said, it's one of the fastest to greatness that I've ever seen, and um, I'm excited to go into season three. It's kind of funny. We, I didn't really want to talk. I'm glad we had this. Where we were able to sort of avoid anything about season three because I think this is a good precursor to get people pumped up and go in and not spoil anything for them. Very good. And um, you know, once maybe we, towards the end or something like that, we can revisit and talk some more about it if when you have some time. Because I, I just think it's such a great series, and I don't want to even spoil a, uh, a moment for them, but get everybody psyched to see uh, season three. Wonderful. I'm, I'm, it sounds good to me, and. Uh, I, I, I will say we are uh, we are so proud of season three. We we uh, we can't wait for folks to see it. I'll leave it at that. I won't give away any details, but I'll say that uh, just uh, you know I think we we took it even farther than we thought we'd be able to take it in season three, and and it and uh, I can't wait for folks to see it. Yeah, you don't. You, it there's, it just uh, it comes out of the gate quick, and you keep the, you, you keep the gas on. I, I, I'll say that much. Oh, very good. So that's fantastic. Well, Vince, uh, thank you for taking some time out, and uh, um, hopefully we'll have a great season three coming up. Well, uh, thank you so much, Tim, and thank you for uh, your time, and uh, appreciate all the folks listening. All right, good luck. Thanks, man. Okay, bye. Thanks, bye, bye. More celebrity podcast interviews from Ricky Gervais to Stephen Colbert on the right side column of my Bastard Machine blog at sfgate.com or bastardmachine.com.
These TV talk machine interviews focus on creative people in the industry and are a distant, smarter cousin to our normally pointless podcasts about television, which appear weekly.